Hey everybody, this is Tommy Miller. I'm the senior pastor at Legacy Church. We're really excited that you decided to join our podcast this morning. Our intention is to give you the information and the resources that you need to bring heaven to earth by walking in the fullness of your identity and your destiny. Enjoy the sermon, enjoy your day, be blessed, and do what Jesus did. You know, sometimes we change the series. Do you need something, Mr. Oh, I was planning on using that. Thanks. We, we changed the name of the series just so your ADD gets a little startled, but we're still preaching the same thing. Um, go to the book of Acts, chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I'm going to catch you up where we've been over the last 10 weeks. We just came out of the Unveiled series, remember? The purpose of the Unveiled series to, was to pull scales and veils off of God, yourself, and the gospel. We needed a, a clarifying word regarding what all of those things mean, what all of those things do. And I want you to remember these things, okay? Theology, theosis, theocracy. These things are a progression, and they're built upon one another. Theology is the study of God. It's really simple. Theosis is a a term coined by Gregory of Nyssa, one of the patristic fathers in the second century, that was the action of coming to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, which is what the Bible says you and I do. We are partakers of the divine nature, right? Not observers, which is what the Western church has taught you. We are partakers, right? There's a, uh, there's a restaurant in Tuskegee called the Old Town Tavern. How many of you ever been there? Okay. They bring you on Saturday night for $5 a creme brulee that's cooked in a wood-fired grilled oven. And I would challenge you to be satisfied with being an observer of that creme brulee and not a partaker. <laughs> right? It's much different. Your Bible does not afford you the opportunity to just be an observer. It affords you the opportunity to be a partaker of the divine nature, which is far different. The entire reason you come to the local church is to sit under apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists so that you come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, right? It's not to have your ears tickled. It's not to find somebody you agree with. It's to find somebody that challenges you to become like him, right? So let's, uh, let me lay a solid foundation for this, okay? And I usually do that by asking really obvious sounding questions that don't have obvious answers. Jesus said that he came to restore that which was lost, right? And I would ask you to continue asking yourself what was lost until you get to the bottom of this mystery. Right? Because if, if you're in a surface-level Western evangelical church, that which is lost are sinners, right? And then you'll start clipping at fruits without ever getting to the root. And then if you're in a better charismatic church, then the image of humanity was lost. So now we're not after sinners. Now we're after the, the, the restoration of the human image, right? God wants to restore your identity. But there's one step further. The reason that we go from theology to theosis to theocracy is because if you don't know who he is, you cannot know who you are. 
Your identity is found and established in him. Genesis did you the disservice of showing you the natural side of creation when John did you the favor of showing you that creation was actually rooted in something other than Genesis 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God, and everything that was made that was made came from that Word. So Genesis is not your Genesis. You were actually divine before you were human. Right? So if what changed in the garden was that we lost theocracy, we lost theosis, but we lost those things because of something much different, we lost those things because the record of theology was lost when Adam ceased to see God as the loving father that he was. Do you get it? So if you have bad theology, you will have bad identity. If you have bad identity, you will never establish theocracy. And I'll explain to you what that is in a minute. The moment that we've moved on to the Heaven Here, Heaven Now series is because we've reestablished who God is. We've reestablished who you are. And now we understand that destiny is identity when it's full grown. Who you are determines what you do. All behavior is rooted in identity, which is why Romans goes to great pain to say that just as Adam influenced the entire of cre- entirety of creation, so Christ brought everyone into righteousness and life. Right? So you weren't a sinner because of your behavior. You were a sinner or a transgressor because of your identity. Who you thought you were produced what you, how you behaved. Make sense? Okay. So how is human identity restored? By seeing God clearly. So if, you, if you're honest with yourself and you ask what was lost in Genesis that Jesus came to restore, he was vocal. As a matter of fact, repetitively, repetitively vocal about what he came to do. He came to be the express image of the Father. Right? He came to be the Fullness of the Godhead bodily. It's Colossians 2. The Son has declared Him. So foundationally, Jesus had to restore Adam's wrong answers concerning who the Father was. And then everybody in Adam had Adam's perspective of God so they could never restore right perspective of themselves. So if, if people spend 1,260 years throwing stones at people because they believe that it's what God wanted, and then Jesus throws up, excuse me, shows up. <laughs> if that turns into a sermon clip, y'all fired. I'm talking about throwing stones, so it's not completely misplaced. Okay, Jesus shows up just to prove that the Father doesn't throw stones. Just to prove that the Father doesn't throw stones then we have to use the word made flesh to translate and interpret who the God was for, excuse me, who the God was demonstrated or recorded to have been according to the people that didn't see him correctly. Right? Can I tell you how, how out of hand this has gotten? There are Christian friends of mine, right? And I'm gonna get hurt all over the world right now. That are ascribing to something called Merconian agnosticism because they have to do something to make sense with who they see God as in the Old Testament. Merconian agnosticism teaches that God was actually kicked out of the creative narrative by a a demigod called Demiurge. Does 
and the entire Old Testament is humanity interacting with a demigod. That's stupid. Yep. But you have to do something. You have to do something with all of these records of genocide and all of these records of punishment and torment. You have to do something with them when you don't understand the charge that Paul gave Timothy to rightly divide the word of truth. When Jesus shows up to be the express image of the Father, he, he answers the questions that Job can't answer. He puts God back in proper perspective after Adam lost it. If you ask yourself the question, what happened when Adam partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What happened to God in that moment? The answer is nothing. Right? We always say he was, is, and always will be, and then we relegate him to 1,260 years of legalism to define who he is. But what my Bible shows us is the God that created, loved, and, and commissioned Adam is was and always will be, and if somebody wrote something other than that, it's wrong. Jesus shows up and quotes the Bible and changes it. You've heard it said, but I say. Get it? Okay, let me get back to where I was heading because you're all going to think I'm crazy. Theology, theosis, theocracy. Okay? Creation is subject to humanity. Humanity is subject to God. If humanity's view of God is wrong, humanity's view of themselves will be wrong. And if humanity's view of themselves is wrong, then creation will be a reflection of who humanity believes they are. Right? I'm not making that up. That's Romans chapter 8. Right? Creation was subject to frustration. Because of him who subjected it in hope. What was the hope? That sons would manifest again. The manifestation of the sons of God delivers creation out of its bondage and into the liberty of beloved sons. Right? We're not waiting on death to save us. We're not waiting on raptures to save us. We're not waiting on anything but the manifestation of the sons of God to bring creation into liberty and out of bondage. So you have to get this progression right. You have to know who God is. And you have to understand that Jesus... This is a Bill Johnson quote, but it means something new to us now. Jesus is perfect theology. Okay? It doesn't say that he was the lighter side of the Father. It says he is the measure of the stature of the fullness of God. It says he is the fullness of the Godhead, the pleroma, meaning everything included of the Godhead bodily. So if it's in Christ, it's a demonstration of the Father. He doesn't say anything that he doesn't hear the Father say, right? He doesn't do anything that he hasn't seen the Father do. So when he's given the opportunity to judge someone according to the law of Moses and refrains, he's showing you that God judges no one either. I know it's hard, especially in Western evangelicalism, when wrath and punishment and torment are the only things that we've used to get people to behave, right? That's not what causes right behavior. What causes right behavior is right revelation of identity. And the Bible's clear about where you find yourself. 1 John 3 says, we are children of God now, but when we see him, we'll know who we are. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, we behold the glory of God as in a mirror, right? Not a window. Chris, Chris Gore says that God is not, Jesus is not the window that you look through to see the Father. He's the mirror that you look into to see yourself. 
right? So do you see why this progression is wildly important? Theology, who is he? Produces theosis, who are you? Produces theocracy, which is the destiny of humanity, okay? One of the things that we say frequently in our school and in here is, I get it, I'm 37, I'm a young guy. Am I? Is 37 still young? Okay. I was driving down the road the other day, and I'm like, I'm 37. Oh, my, I'm 37. But anyway, listen, I know that I can't flippantly say things. I know that my theology has to be sound because everybody wants to ask me questions. So I'm not an idiot. I don't preach things that I can't back up with three things, the framework of God, the mouth of the prophets, and the life of Jesus. That's where you find good theology. So if Jeremiah would have told me that a rapture was my Savior, I'd listen. If Jesus would have told me that a rapture is my Savior, I'd listen. If God would have created humanity and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and get raptured, then I'd listen. But the framework of God, the mouth of the prophets, and the life of Jesus points to something else entirely. It points to the redemption of humanity, the restoration of the nature of our view of the nature of God, and delivering this creation into our liberty, not having this creation in a downward spiral to its eternal death. Last, last week, we talked about how we don't gather around doctrine. None of you have to agree with me. We gather around family. But the reason why doctrine's important is because you as a human being have a co-creative nature that you possess with the Father. You and the Father are one. So if you have bad theology, if you have bad expectations, then you will actually bring about a worse future by faith. All of creation is a result of human agreement. So if human agreement says, I read the end of the book, brother, I know it's just going to get worse, then you will bring about a poor future by faith. Right? Your Bible doesn't afford you that liberty. Right? The path of the righteous gets brighter. Yep. Unto the noonday, right? Jesus, how should we pray? You should pray that God brings heaven to earth. Yep. Not that you can escape. Not that everyone would have a peaceful afterlife. But you would redeem creation and redeem bodies. Romans chapter 6 says the hope to which you were called is the redemption of your body. Everybody's trying to get rid of it. Everybody's trying to get rid of it. I hate. <sighs> Watching parents with tears in their eyes, proud that their child wants to die. Yep. My kid gets it. Paul said that we want to be unclothed. No, he didn't. He said he wants to be further clothed. Yep, we don't want to escape this body. But most of the time, Western evangelicalism makes the people surrounding the grave jealous of the one in it. Which makes death a savior. Right? Either Jesus was the atoning sacrifice that brought you peace, righteousness, and joy, or death is. Get what I'm saying? Okay. So, drives me crazy when people cultivate counterfeit Christianity to make kids excited to die. Yep. How crazy is it that we've taught them that that's the door to get to the Father? I'm the door is what Jesus said, right? I'm the gate. Yep. He is how you get to the Father. Right? Okay. 
Good stuff. So Jesus came to restore that which was lost. He literally came to express who the Father was. We, we have proof, and I'm not, I know we've gotten into this every week, and I think we've gotten in more trouble every time, but we have proof because of what Jesus said when Moses is read, a veil lies on the heart. That veil is taken away in Christ. So Jesus displays the Father clearly. When you read Moses, the Father's veiled. Yep. So if you want to see the Father, what did Jesus say when they said, show us the Father and be sufficient for us? If you've seen me, you've seen him, right? I didn't make this stuff up. I know it's really hard to get away from a punitive and vindictive, angry, blood, lustful God, but he's not there, right? So when he comes to restore that which was lost, he restores the image of the Father to humanity's perspective so humanity can look at him and see themselves. And now that they can look at him and see themselves, then they can get in step with the ever-increasing kingdom that they've been called to govern which is theocracy. Theocracy is the establishment of a creation that looks like it's governed by God. Okay, and that is what the prophets talked about. That's what the prophets talked about, okay? Sometimes, you're going to want to write this down, you need to rescue good theology from your future. Sometimes your future has stolen the best theology that you have access to. Because religion has taught you that the, the available promises of God are for not you and not yet. So you're always looking for another day, which is what Hebrews 4 says you shouldn't do. Joshua spoke of another day, but this is that day. Get what I'm saying? Right? How many times have you been to a funeral and they're like, finally, they're not suffering, any, suffering anymore? Yeah. Jesus <laughs> bore stripes. So that we would be healed. Death didn't come to heal people. Jesus did. Right? So it's wildly important that you allow theology to be good theology by rescuing it from your future. Because your future has taken a lot of your theology captive. And you've moved it into a, a millennium or you've moved it into an afterlife. Or have you moved it into some period of time that you're not responsible for yet? So you don't have to have the evidence and proof of the sufficiency of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life. Every time we approach good theology and then we look around for its evidence, we don't find its evidence, we create bad theology by putting it in our future. Get it? Are you sure? Okay. Okay, so theology, theosis, theocracy. We've talked about the unveiled God. We've talked about the unveiled bride. Those are the two things in the book of Revelation that caused John to fall down as dead. Humanity, divinity, equally as glorious. When he saw the resurrected Christ, he fell down as dead. When he saw the resurrected bride, he fell down as dead. His response to each of them was total awe. The reason is, he, he got to see a resurrected view of humanity. They, humanity seated at the right hand of God in heavenly places, where they had been formerly governed by their natural perspective. Now they get to see themselves as God sees them because they see themselves as they see him. You good? Are you awake? Okay. So go to the book of Acts chapter 3. Is that where I told you to go already? Okay, go to verse 20. Nah, 19. 19 makes it a better thought. 
or complete thought at least. Ready? Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ, whom was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until, everybody say until, the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. Okay. Incredibly important passage, right? So this is post-resurrection. This is early in the book of Acts. And they're trying to explain where Jesus is, why he's there, and how long. Right? Those are the questions. Right? This Jesus, whom heaven received. Right? So he's seated at the right hand of God in heavenly places until the establishment of a theocracy. Until the restoration of all things. The establishment of a theocracy, the literal Greek definition of this word, is a, a creation governed by God. So we're literally supposed to bring the reality of heaven to the acres and offspring that we have dominion over. If you have influence over a region, if you have re- influence over a people, it is your responsibility to demonstrate the nature of the Father and the culture of heaven in everything you do. We talked last week about the most important expressions of heaven are in the mundane. It always emphasized what we call covert ministry over overt ministry. You can prophesy, and if you're not good to your wife, your prophecy becomes your condemnation. The fact that you function in the gifts but have not love makes you annoying and useless. The gifts, the callings, the anointings, the fivefold ministry, all of those things are temporary catalysts to bring out God's intention, which is humanity that looks like Him governing a world that looks like heaven. So if we emphasize those things over the covert expressions of heaven, we're emphasizing the wrong thing. It says those things will cease. I'm not saying not to do them. That's how you bring about that which is perfect, right? You use those gifts. Like, who carries the gift of healing in here? Don't, don't, don't. Don't be self-righteous and falsely humble. If you carry the gift of healing, raise your hand. We need you. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. Listen, how do you bring about that which is perfect? Well, you look at something that isn't on earth as it is in heaven, and then you make it on earth as it is in heaven. That's the establishment of a theocracy. As a matter of fact, you want me to give you, how many students do we have in here, academy students? Okay, I'm going to give you a peek into two weeks from now, okay, because this is really important information. Do you know when the first judicial judge sat on a bench in the United States? 1796, okay? Do you know where we got that system from? It's developed in the late 1600s in Britain. Do you know where it existed before that? Nowhere. No, it existed nowhere, okay? So if your version of heaven is God sitting on a bench with a gavel deciding whether or not you're guilty or innocent, then you're a Westerner, okay? God has an entire book in this Bible called Judges, and none of them sit on benches. None of them. None of them come to judge you whether you're righteous or sinful. None of, you come, none of them come to judge right and wrong. You know what they do? When Israel got behind... God sent a judge. You know what the judge did? He brought them in rapid fashion up to par and by regaining momentum and by reestablishing God's plan in what he determined an identity. 
So if we silly Westerners think God is there slamming a hammer on a bench, then we haven't been alive for very long, and we haven't responsibly looked at our Bible. If you get a judge, you know what happens when a judge comes into your life? The absence of all things harmful and the bringing in of anything beneficial again, right? You want a judge? I want a judge. That's what God did. He came and judged everything righteously. He came and looked at you and he came and looked at humanity and he brought it back into alignment with heaven's intention and he judged it righteously. He is a judge. And he showed you what judges were by giving you a book called, oh man, so, so obscure, Judges! so obscure. But do you see how easy it is to just paste our Western philosophy over an Eastern book that's 2,000 years old? Yeah, I want a judge. Gladly, send me the judge. We won't go there. If you you want the rest of it, join the school. (laughs) Okay, so, theology, theosis, theocracy. Who he is determines who you are. Who you are determines what you do. The establishment of God's intention since Genesis is for you to have a profound impact on all of creation through demonstrating his nature and exercising his authority. In Acts chapter 3, verse 21, it says that heaven received Jesus until the times of restoration of all things, until a theocracy is established. Whose job do you think it is to establish that theocracy? Yeah, it's not his. He's sitting, okay? He's tacked out. He's sitting. He's sitting until you restore all things back to the Father, right? He was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself And then he gave you the word of reconciliation so that you would be pleading on God's behalf, be reconciled to the Father. Yep, that's you. When Jesus was invited, as a matter of fact, when David prophetically foretold of this principle, he said, your Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until your enemies are made to be your footstool. And still the church until the church takes care of business. Yep, you want some good stuff? Okay, the next line of that passage says, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Now, let me tell you a little bit. I know I'm crushing things, and you have to be okay with it. You can't get mad at me. We've got to make rapid, rapid pace, Okay. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there are no more dispensations, okay? When a son is born and a child is given, this is the the messianic prophecy from Isaiah, and the government is on his shoulders, the next line is then of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end, right? So you're not waiting on a rapture, a seven-year tribulation, and a millennium before everything takes place. Those are dispensations. Dispensationalism is garbage. Be- oh, i got to stop saying that. <laughs> Some people love it, and I'm not trying to attack it, but it's false. And what it will do, it will steal your theology and put it in your future. Right? So when we read things that are too good to be true, we immediately shovel them into a millennium. 
if we read things that are too good to be true, we shovel them into our afterlife. And at best, if we read things that are too good to be true, we'll think that we have to earn and deserve more until we're worthy of getting it. Religion has taught you, not you, not yet. Right? So it's either in your millennium, in your afterlife, or in your future, just because, listen, you self-judge, therefore self-atone and delay blessing. Right? You're not the Savior. Jesus is. I feel like I came to that one too strong. Anybody mad? Good. All right. So go to Daniel. Go to Daniel 7. Where these prophets are long-winded. There he is. Okay, it would, it would take me a long time to get through this, but if you're interested, I will. Verse 15 says, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. So I came... Oh, no, that's not where we want to go, is it? Let's back up. Let's go to verse 9. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream came from, forth from him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were Okay, this is Daniel. This isn't Revelation 20 like you think it is, even though they say the same exact thing. Okay? It's really important that you know they say the same exact thing because John, when he saw them in Revelation, saw them as they were actively happening. Because 19 times in the first three chapters of of Revelation, it says, Behold, I'll show you the things that must shortly come to pass. Right? If I tell you that we are shortly eating pizza and then I starve you to death, I'm a bad father. Right? So he says, I'll show you the things that must shortly come to pass. And then I was called into the third heaven, and I saw the resurrected Christ. What did he look like? He had hair like wool. (gasps) Daniel 7 saw that, right? He had eyes like fire. He had a sword in his mouth. He had feet like bronze. Daniel sees the same thing, but he sees it immediately following the Ancient of Days being seated on a throne. When did this happen? Post-resurrection. It was his ascension. Where did he go in his ascension? He was seated at the right hand of God in heavenly places. So this is actively happening as a result of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the early part of the century, if you want to get really technical, there's no time in heaven. So this is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So it's either before creation or 2,000 years ago. But anyway, it's not in the millennium. It's not in your afterlife. It's not in your future. I watched them because of the sound of pompous words which this horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Okay, this is Revelation 20. Okay, this is where the beast and Hades were delivered up and then death, Hades, and everything in the books were cast into the lake of fire. I'll teach on that another day. But listen, as for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And I was watching in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. 
Then to him was given dominion and glory in the kingdom to, the, to, excuse me, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Okay, why is this important? Because this is what everyone's waiting on to happen. This theology needs rescued from your future. Your future has taken this theology captive when this is something that God did on your behalf in his death, burial, and resurrection. Daniel was foretelling it as a prophet. John was seeing it as a New Testament believer that was able to be raised and seated at the right hand of God in heavenly places. He was called up into the third heaven, right? Are you guys okay? I'm preaching from the Old Testament. You all mad about it. Verse 15, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts which are four are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the, listen, but the saints of the Most High God shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Right? Does that sound like dispensationalism, or is he pretty clear about how long we possess the kingdom? The saints of the Most High God possess the kingdom forever. And oh, by the way, forever. And oh, by the way, forever and ever. Then I wished to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with his teeth and iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with his feet. And then the ten horns that were on the head and the other horn, which came up before the tree fell. Oh, excuse me, before (coughs) which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth, which spoke pompous words, those appearance, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. Man, do you guys want to know about this? Okay. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made. In favor of the saints of the Most High God, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Okay, check this out. This is, this is deep stuff. It's not deep stuff if you're just responsible. Okay, this is the prophetic foretelling of what actually happened in Revelation 20. And death and Hades were delivered out of the lake of fire. And there was something else that was delivered out of the lake of fire. Excuse me. There was something else that was open before the throne of God. <clears throat> it was the book's. There was a book that was opened, and there were books that were opened. And those books were the deeds done in the body. Those books are the last beast. The last beast is the Judaic system. Listen, its dominion was taken away, but its life extended for a while. How did its life extend for a while? Well, for 37 and a half more years, they offered sacrifices in a temple with no priests and after the sacrifice had been replaced by the one who gave himself once and for all. But the next 37 and a half years, they practiced a system that was dead until God came and judged the system in 70 AD. God made a judgment in favor of the saints. Do you know what the judgment in favor of the saints was? Anything not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. You being defined by the deeds done while in the body was sent to the same place that death in Hades was. <clears throat> yep. Why am I reading Daniel? 
Because the prophets foretold in a veiled way what God intended for the identity of humanity and creation. And Daniel is telling us that the Ancient of Days came and defeated hell, death, and the grave, sat at the right hand of God, and from there made a judgment on, in favor of the saints so that they could receive a kingdom that was never going to end. Get it? It only gets better. I was watching and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. The reason, <clears throat> it was pompous words accusing the saints. Do you know it says that was literally Satan's ammunition? Colossians chapter 3 says that, we have dis- that he disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them by taking the handwriting of requirements that was against us and nailing it to the cross. Right? So those pompous words cease when the deeds done when in the bo- while in the body are judged by a judge. He gives you everything for life and godliness, and he removes everything you were never meant to be. That's a judge. He brings about the presence of all things beneficial, and he gets rid of all things harmful. That's a judge. And to prove, to prove that that is the kind of judge that the Father is, when the Son has the opportunity to judge someone according to their works, he passes on the opportunity. By saying, I and the Father are one, and I judge no one. You all right? Okay, where do you want to go now? Okay, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from the other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it into pieces. The ten horns are the ten kings which shall arise from the kingdom, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue all three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hands for time, time, and a half of times. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given. Are you following me? To the people, the saints of the Most High God. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall shall serve and obey him. Why are we reading this? Because we have to responsibly. When the book of Acts, when the first presentation of the gospel says that heaven received Jesus until the times of restoration of all things, we have to know that it was foretold by the holy prophet since the world began. Since the world began, Moses says in Genesis 2 that your responsibility is to be very good and be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. The first page of your Bible has your identity and assignment. Well, I've never heard that before. I know, because you're a Westerner. I want to go somewhere else. Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11. No, before that. Ephesians 3, 8, then Isaiah 11. I think I messed some of you up today. You know what's funny? This is the feedback that I get all the time. I visited your church. I thought you were crazy. So I took notes and I went home and checked them out. 
How many of you have done that? Like, dude, no, no. And then you go home, and then you back check me, right? Back check me against first century patristic fathers. Back check me against the prophets of the Old Testament. Back check me against the life of Jesus. Let's take a look at the framework of God that he established in Genesis. His framework of God in Genesis was an, a visible representation of the invisible reality. So the framework of God is literally heaven in his nature. You're like, yeah, he doesn't sound like a Westerner, but he sounds like truth. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> okay, Ephesians 3, ready? <clears throat> Verse 8, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent, righty? That's a really important saying. That now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Did you know that it was your responsibility to instruct the spiritual realm in heavenly realities? That the manifold wisdom of God, the word manifold just means multitude. <clears throat> I'm losing my voice, you guys did this to me. <laughs> manifold wisdom of God, multifaceted like a diamond. When you turn it, you see something different every time. It's your responsibility to disseminate the manifold wisdom of God so that all of creation comes under its understanding. Ready? Isaiah. <clears throat> Chapter 11, verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. <clears throat> Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For, okay, the word for means because of. The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Religion has taught you to toss that verse into a millennium or your afterlife. But your Bible gives you the commission to disseminate the manifold wisdom of God, the knowledge of the Lord to the principalities and powers. As a result of that, the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11 comes to pass. Am I right or wrong? Like, I'm just reading you the Bible. <clears throat> I'm just telling you what I read. Heaven received Jesus until the establishment of a theocracy. The establishment of a theocracy 
comes from the manifestation of the sons of God. The manifestation of the sons of God comes from having right theology concerning the Father. When you see him, you see you. Identity is the seed of destiny. Your destiny is your identity when it's full grown. Theology, theosis, theocracy. The establishment of the government of God on earth. You with me? Are you sure? I can barely talk. We might have to cut it early. Where do you want to go now? Romans 8. That'll be the last thing. Okay. Do you understand why I went to Isaiah 11? Do you understand why I went to Daniel 7? Because what the prophets foretold from the beginning of the world is the establishment of a theocracy. When Peter's first presentation of the gospel was orated to the people outside of the upper room and then to the people who were in the temple after they picked up the lame man, their first presentation of the gospel was heaven received Jesus until the restoration of all things that has been foretold by the prophets from from the beginning of time. I forget the exact language already. But since the world began, Genesis 1 Genesis 2 are the first prophetic declarations regarding a humanity that looks like divinity governing a creation that looks like heaven. You are tasked with bringing the manifest wisdom of God to every structure on the planet so that the knowledge of God would cover the face of the earth like water covers the sea. And they'll no longer hurt or kill in my holy mountain. Get it? Romans chapter 8. This is going to tie all of this together. Verse 18. How many of you like your paper Bibles better than your iPads? I have the verse right here. I'm just protesting because I don't want to read it off of technology. This even smells better. I haven't smelled my iPad in a while, but... Verse 18, ready? For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Ready? Ready? For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation, now let's stop there, okay? I'm going to go back like five weeks. John 14 and John 16 are two parallels of the same message. John, excuse me, Jesus in John 16 said, I want to tell you the truth, but you can't handle it. So I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. He'll lead you into union with all truth. Truth is a person. Jesus introduced himself as truth. John 14, when he was talking to a smaller group of people, he said that the Holy Spirit will come, and in that day you will know, I'm in the Father, you're in me, and we're in you. The Holy Spirit comes to demonstrate unity. But this is what you need to understand. 
The Holy Spirit did not come to change the facts about you. The Holy Spirit did not come to change the facts about the Father. The Holy Spirit came... (laughs) I just heard Al Pacino when I was talking. (laughs) He come to me on my daughter's birthday. (laughs) I'm going to distract myself (laughs) for the rest of the day. I'm sorry. You filthy animal. (laughs) This is what it's like living up here. It's rough. (laughs) Okay, John 16. I want to tell you the truth. You can't handle it. Shoot. (laughs) Refrain, I can't do it. Okay. (laughs) So I'll send the Holy Spirit and he'll lead you into all truth. John 14. (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) I don't think I'm going to (laughs) recover. I I just hear Al Pacino. Ooh, pastor, has this ever happened to you? Oh, Jesus. Oh, my goodness. I bet you're not as simple as I am up here. (laughs) Okay. John 14. In that day you will know I'm in the Father. The Father's in me and we're in you. He didn't come to change the facts about you. He didn't come to change the facts about the Father. He came to reveal the truth. Okay? So the manifestation of the sons of God is a result of the sons of God seeing the Father for who he truly is and then seeing themselves in him. So now it's not a creation of the sons of God. It's the manifestation of the sons of God. It's the revealing of what's already true. And when the identity of humanity is restored, then creation benefits, right? You aren't here just to save sinners. You're here to redeem creation. You're here to remove thorns and thistles. Okay, there was a cursed creation that came from Adam and Eve's mishap. And Adam and Eve's mishap sent creation into a downward spiral. And now your Bible says that it's It's crying out with birth pangs. Everybody say birth pangs. Okay, you've been taught that they were death pangs. Okay, they're not. They want to live. They don't want to die. And their cry for life is only answered by sons who know who they are that redeem creation into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. Okay, I'm going to read the rest of chapter 8 and then I got to go. Oh, I'm glad she wasn't here for that. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So that that word like because of this, right? Creation is eagerly awaiting for the revealing of the sons of God because creation will be delivered out of its frustration and into the liberty of the sons of God. What we see is from from Genesis to now, creation has been a demonstration of who humanity believe they are. So Jesus came to demonstrate the Father to show us us in him so that we could reveal him in us so that creation would benefit from our existence. 
Yep, not about escaping, not about another dispensation. The kingdom is given to the people, and they shall reign with his dominion forever and ever, and oh yeah, ever. Get it? For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Yep, much different gospel, right? For we were saved in this hope. We were saved in this hope. This is where your soteriology has to be right. Western soteriology is you repeat a prayer, join a club, escape hell, right, which is a really crappy gospel. How would you feel if somebody ran up to you on the street, tackled you to the, to the, to the ground and said, you are about to be hit by a car? There was no car, right? What if the story wasn't about being saved from the car, but you were saved into an identity and a destiny? Yeah, but you spent your whole life saying, thank you for saving me from a car. And it was never about the car in the first place. It was about coming in from theology to theosis to establish a theocracy. Is it good? Okay, stand with me if you don't mind. you want to write this down, Daniel 7.27 says, then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the most high God. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Last thing that I'll say is you need to make sure that you're listening to prophets that are prophesying a message that's consistent with what the Bible says to be true. If they are prophesying doom, gloom, conspiracy, foreboding, and fear, the prophets, even before they got to see the resurrected Christ, knew that creation was on an upward trajectory towards redemption and not a downward spiral to death. All of the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdom of our God. No other God, right? No other God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who has demonstrated fully and perfectly in his Son, the Word embodied in flesh, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, Jesus Christ. He is the King of kings, he is the Lord of lords, and he is worthy of all of your worship and admiration. In him you move, in him you live, and in, in him you have your being. If you didn't think that you had a reason to worship before, he exists as the death, burial, and resurrection that you get to participate in. But if he didn't exist, neither would you. Right? Okay. Can I pray for all of you? Father, thank you so much for this incredible morning. I'm asking that the word that you've brought to this place go to the nations that your image be restored, that our identities be restored, and then acreage and offspring be redeemed, Father. Actual territories, actual people coming into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ and creation being delivered. 
from the bondage of corruption and into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you guys for tolerating that. Yep. The word was good, but my goodness.